Truth News Network. Fake news, circular logic, disinformation, outright lies. What do you do when the truth goes underground? Well, here, let me get that door for you. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And your host is Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Friday at Truth News Network, TNN Live. Ending the first week of December, getting ready for Christmas in the midst of Hanukkah. Lots of great holiday things happening, and we're working hard, as I'm sure you are as well, to stay on the positive side, the upside of all of this. This is a great time of year to enjoy each other, to enjoy friends and family, and uh, to be happy, find happiness and fulfillment in everything you're doing. I know, (laughs) for me too, that's really difficult in the time where pretty much everything we hear coming out of our leadership across the nation is not positive and is not happy. Well, let me tell you what we have lined up for you this morning. We're full of information, full of facts. We've got some things that may be a bit uncomfortable to speak about, but they're things that are very important, and we all need to kind of get a position on it, at least to be thinking about these things. Because let me tell you, going into the show, there are some important decisions that we've not had to make. Most of us haven't had to make yet. But we're facing a requirement to make them. And to make them and make the right choices for you, your family members, and those who are in your life, you need to have all the facts when it comes right down to it. We're going to open that door this morning. Yeah, it's it has to do with uh, our government. It has to do with the COVID-19 that's going around the United States and around the world and all the radioactive fallout from those conversations. And no, it's not getting any better. Is it getting any worse? We'll dig into it here in just a little bit. Just minutes ago, we had some job growth numbers come out and our U.S. job growth significantly undershot what was expected for last month. What does that mean? Well, it suggests difficulty in attracting new workers and weighing the labor market's recovery from the pandemic, even as COVID cases dissipate nationwide. Now, can you believe that is the truth? That segment of that sentence, COVID-19 cases are dissipating nationwide. Would you think that based upon the politics that we've heard every day now? Somebody gets up and stumps for a political cause. Yeah, COVID-19 has become political weaponry. Even our president yesterday referenced it in a, in a speech from the National Institutes of Health. Of course, he took the side, you know, I hate it that COVID-19 and our pandemic has been politicized, but it has, and I'm sorry that it has, He's the almost single reason why it has divided the nation. And every day it's just something new. There's something new today, folks. There's something in the wings that we told you a long time ago and every once in a while have mentioned to you that almost certainly is coming down the pike. We'll talk about that in a bit. What are the numbers? Well, the Labor Department said in its monthly payroll report that payrolls in November rose by just 210,000 
and it was forecasted, projected to be over half a million new jobs. The unemployment rate, which is calculated based from a separate study, dropped more than the expected and went down to 4.2% from 4.6%. And that's the lowest level since this pandemic began. So why is this happening, folks? Why are the unemployment numbers plummeting, going way down, but our new job numbers are way below what is anticipated? That means people aren't going back to work. What the heck is this all about? Have you figured it out yet? We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But I wanted you to make sure that you understood that uh, things aren't nearly as good in our economy, in our labor market, as this administration wants to paint. So what we're, what I was referencing when I talked about the bad news out there, I want you to stick with me through this next segment, this part of this report today. As of midnight, November 15th, just a couple of weeks ago, the nation of Austria began yet another nationwide lockdown there, supposedly to rein in rising COVID case uh, case numbers. So what makes this lockdown unique is that it only applies not to everybody in the country of Austria, but to residents age 12 and older who have declined to get the COVID jab. An exception is made for unvaccinated individuals who have recently recovered from COVID-19. Austrians are only permitted to exit their front door for what the government terms essential work, essential shopping, such as food, some quick exercise. Oh, and by the way, go get vaccinated. All other outdoor activities are forbidden. The lockdown will reportedly affect about 2 million of the 9 million residents in Austria. Random spot checks. They're going to be making random spot checks to make sure no healthy, unvaxxed people are roaming the streets. And fines for breaking the lockdown order? Listen to this. $1,640 per occurrence. Just two days before that November edict was issued, it was suggested the lockdown would only impact the northern portion of Austria and Salzburg but that quickly changed to include the entire country. It's hard to see this action as anything but punishment for refusal of Austrians to become a medical guinea pig, considering that the new chancellor, Alexander Schallenberg, referred to the country's 65% COVID jab rate as shamefully low. So how do people in Austria feel about this? I mean, we know how we all felt in our lockdown, even though it wasn't nearly as egregious as this one in Austria is. On the first day of their quarantine of the unvaxxed, Freddie Sayers of Unheard.com took to the streets to find out how some Austrians feel about it. Here's what Freddie had to say. What strikes me most, he said, is the class inflection to the whole thing. We started this morning on one of the fancier shopping streets in the Old Town, full of Rolex and Karl Lagerfeld stores, in which well-heeled locals lined up to express their support for the lockdown. There's very little sympathy for a minority that is seen as stupid and having bought in on themselves. 
On the same street, however, if you approach the people wearing fluorescent vests, guarding the stores, making deliveries, you tend to get a different response. They're more reluctant to speak to us, but decidedly less supportive. It's BS was one man's response. Questions about the practical efficacy of such a measure don't seem to be of much interest. He said, when I ask people if they know that vaccinated people can also get and transmit COVID, they tend to brush it aside like it's no big deal. Not a single person he spoke to, not one, referred to the likely practical outcome of this new lockdown policy. It's simply a hardening of the vaccine passport policy they have there that so far has failed to contain the latest wave of infections in the country. I can't escape the sense that the motivation is at least partly punitive, he said. They don't understand people who are not taking the vaccine. They don't like them, and they're slightly afraid of them. So the simplest thing to do is just remove them from society altogether. That was somebody on the street talking to people about what's happening. You know what? It's interesting to note that this latest round of lockdowns came despite persistent ongoing public protest. Folks, in some areas of Europe, we don't see it here. Our mainstream media doesn't talk about it, but millions of Europeans have been in the streets, many of them every day regularly holding mass protests for over a year. Yet their government leaders in these nations are flatly ignoring the will of the people and mainstream media refuse to report on what's happening in the streets. And as the failures of the COVID vaccines are becoming increasingly evident and more evident every day in Austria, public demonstrations against these mandates and lockdowns are growing and they're gaining speed. As was reported by the vaccine reaction, Vienna, Amsterdam, The Hague, Rome, Brussels, Rotterdam, and other European cities all held mass protests the week of November 19th and 20th. Some of these cities are among the most highly vaccinated in the whole continent of Europe. The vaccine reaction reported this, November 19th, 2021. The Austrian government announced a new 10 to 20 day nationwide lockdown. The government also became the first EU country to institute mandatory vaccination, giving citizens a February 1st, 2022 deadline to get vaxxed. The next day, tens of thousands of Austrians took to the streets, whistling, blowing horns, banging drums in Vienna waving Austrian flags, chanting resistance, and holding signs that proclaimed no to vaccination and enough is enough and down with the fascist dictatorship. They marched to Heroes Square in front of the former Hofburg Palace in central Vienna, Austria. There was another big rally on the 27th in another city, Graz, St. Polten, and Klagenfurt. This time they chanted peace, freedom, no dictatorship. The leader of the Austrian Populist Party, a guy named Herbert Kiki, branded the government's mandatory vax announcement as unconstitutional and said Austria is now a dictatorship. He called on the nation's high court to intervene and block totalitarian measures by a government that believes 
It should think and decide for us. Here's what he said. In almost two years, the government has not been able to develop effective strategies to protect Austrian people. Instead, it has set up new harassment week after week to curtail healthy people in their basic rights one little bit at a time. And now we've reached a level with compulsory vaccination that nobody actually thought was possible. We cannot and we must not put up with that. And it's not just in Austria. Several other European countries are also in turmoil. As their governments ignore the people's demand for freedom, Germany, which is also reporting, by the way, a new spike in cases, is reportedly preparing a law to make people work from home again. Unless, of course, they have a compelling professional reason to be in the office, in which case they got to prove they've gotten the COVID jab or show a negative PCR test. In Belgium, Belgium has a 76% COVID jab rate. Government officials have reinforced its COVID restrictions, triggering a protest of at least 35,000 people in central Brussels. People were shouting, freedom, 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 and singing Bella Chow, an anti-fascist song. The rally thankfully remained peaceful till the very end when a small number of people clashed with the police who brought out tear gas and water cannons. 42 protesters were arrested. Violence also erupted in the Netherlands during the anti-lockdown protest. On November 12th, government placed limits on the number of people allowed in each home. Bars, restaurants, cafes, and supermarkets all faced a mandatory 8 p.m. closure and non-essential shops had to close at 6 p.m. They also canceled the number of public events. November 19th, seven people were injured when Dutch police used water cannons, fired on anti-lockdown protesters, throwing rocks and fireworks, wounding two and arresting 20 people during a demonstration in one of Rotterdam's main shopping areas. Riot police carrying shields and batons and officers on horseback and in police vans patrolled the streets after the confrontation that left at least one police car burned out and dozens of bicycles destroyed. It's happening in Italy, too, where thousands gathered in the Circus Maximus in Rome November 20th to protest the Green Pass requirement, which is their vaccine mandate and uh, their passport. One demonstrator carried a banner that said, people like us never give up. Down under, Australia, where some of the most mind-boggling overreaches have occurred in recent weeks, people in Australia are also fighting back. November 27th, millions march against mandatory vaccination. That's a group. Organized protest in 30 Australian cities, including Sydney and Melbourne, where thousands gathered. Here, protesters bore signs saying, never lock down again, and less government, more freedom. So what about back home? What about here, folks? We're seeing even more tyrannical infringement on basic human rights and freedoms. While the Supreme Court recently paused President Biden's vaccine mandate for businesses with 100 employees or more, Pending judicial review, of course, Americans, fellow Americans, were not out of the woods yet. 
as reported in a New York Times op-ed back in January of 2017. That long ago, folks. There's a reason to be concerned about the CDC, their authority to quarantine Americans at will, and they have it legally. At that time, we didn't know how that power might be used. Today, you don't need a very vivid imagination to see how that 2017 regulation might be pulled out as a failsafe if the mandates fall through. I'm going to give you a couple of paragraphs out of a story that the New York Times published that day in January 2017. Quote, the rules of that mandate the CDC now has, the rules outline for the first time how the federal government can restrict interstate travel during a health crisis, and they establish in-house oversight of whether someone should be detained without providing without providing, without provision necessary that shows a clear path and direct path to challenge a quarantine order in federal court. In other words, Fauci, Dr. Walensky, our Congress endowed them with the sole authority to make it happen, the CDC. State and local authorities had previously been the ones to usually deal with issues like this during epidemics. It's imperative that whenever the next outbreak hits us, emergency health measures are grounded in scientific evidence and guided by clear, fair rules to protect people from wrongful deprivation of their liberties. This is the New York Times saying this. Prompt judicial review has always been important during epidemic scares. People can usually challenge a state's order of quarantine immediately. Indeed, in several states, the government has to get a judge's approval before quarantining someone. But unfortunately, this 2017 rule gives the CDC significant in-house oversight of this decision to quarantine with up to three layers of internal agency review. And that internal review has no explicit time limit, could easily stretch on for weeks while a healthy person languages in quarantine. And since federal courts often wait until an agency has completed its internal process before it's going to consider hearing an appeal, we won't know until the next crisis hits whether a federal judge will agree to hear a petition from someone detained before the CDC review is completed. In addition, the CDC now has clear legal authority to take over the quarantine role from states in many cases and to restrict interstate travel, not international travel, interstate travel. Fast forward to the end of October, just a month ago. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky is now on record saying, quote, There's a plan to provide unvaccinated workers with education and counseling. Education and counseling. Sounds an awful lot like sticking people in FEMA re-education camps. So the CDC's quarantine powers, they haven't even used them yet, folks. 
In a mid-November 2021 article for Brownstone, Jeffrey Tucker reviews how the idea of nationwide lockdowns in response to an infectious pandemic was born and whose mind it came from. The plan to quarantine people in their homes and shutter private businesses as a form of pandemic response was invented by a Dr. Rajiv Venkaya, who is president of the Global Vaccine Business Unit at Takeda Pharmaceuticals and a former head of pandemic policy for guess who? The Gates Foundation. In his book, The Premonition, Lewis, Michael Lewis, identifies Vinkaya as the proverbial father of lockdowns. In 05, Vinkaya led a bioterrorism study group under then-President George W. Bush, who reportedly demanded a whole-of-society plan for dealing with pandemics, but not pandemics themselves, pandemic threats. That's a key point to understand here, folks. They don't have to have blood in the water to do it. They have to the right now to determine if there really is a pandemic threat. And based upon their opinion of that, they can trigger this entire process. Bush 43 wanted something that would encompass borders, travel and commerce, not just the conventional threat assessment, distribution of therapeutics and vaccine development. Vinkaya's answer was wholesale lockdowns. But the basis for this idea is at best questionable. Here's an explanation. Dr. Vinkaya began to fish around for people who could come up with the domestic equivalent of Operation Desert Storm to deal with the new virus. He found no serious epidemiologist to help him. They were too smart to buy in. He eventually bumped into the real lockdown innovator working at Sandia National Laboratories in New Mexico. His name? Robert Glass. Robert Glass, a computer scientist with no medical training, much less knowledge about viruses. Robert Glass, in turn, was inspired by a science fair project that his 14-year-old daughter was working on. She theorized, kind of like the cooties game from grade school, that if school kids could space themselves out more or even not be at school at all, they would stop making each other sick. So Glass, he ran with the idea, banged out a model of disease control based on a stay-at-home order, travel restrictions, business closures, and forced human separation. Crazy, right? (laughs) No one in public health agreed with him. But like any classic crank, this convinced Glass even more. He imagined himself to be smarter than, oh, a hundred years of experience in public health. One guy with a fancy computer would solve everything. Well, he managed to convince some people, including another person hanging around the White House named Carter Mercher, who became Glass's apostle. So consider the following quote from Dr. Mercher in Lewis's book. Quote, if you got everyone and locked each of them in their own room and didn't let them talk to anyone, you would not have any disease. At last, an intellectual has a plan to abolish disease and human life as we know it too. 
Folks, as preposterous and terrifying as this is, a whole society, not only in jail, but solitary confinement, it sums up the whole of Murcher's view of disease. It's also completely wrong. Pathogens are part of our world, folks. Our bodies have been dealing with pathogens in the thousands every day for every day you've been alive. We don't even know about it unless one gets really bad. But they're ignoring that now. We pass these pathogens on to each other as a price for civilization, but we also have evolved immune systems to deal with them naturally. And folks, that didn't come out of a Harvard Medical School. It's ninth grade biology. But Mercher didn't have a clue, didn't care either. March 12, 2020, Venkaya's now 15-year-old plan was put into practice and schools across the U.S. were shut down, even though there wasn't a shred of evidence to suggest that schools were hotbeds for viral spread. In fact, actual science suggested the opposite, that kids were not good carriers of infection and didn't pose a serious threat to adults either. None of that mattered. The models of Glass and Mercher suggested school closure would cut transmission rates by 80%. What we're seeing is not science, but ideological fanaticism in play. As with almost every revolution in world history, a small minority of crazy people with a cause prevailed over the human rationality of the multitudes. When people catch on, the fires of vengeance burn very hot. The task now is to rebuild a civilized life that is no longer so fragile as to allow insane people to lay waste to all that humanity has worked so hard to build. On a personal level, I can't can't agree more. At the same time, we must also recognize the prevailing psychological underpinnings of society at large that allowed this minority to step in and attempt to crush us. Psychology professor Matthias Desmond, in an interview, said the reason so many have bought into what are clearly illogical pandemic measures is because enough of us were psychologically weakened to start off with. This, in turn, allowed for a psychological condition known as mass formation to occur. It can be likened to a form of mass hypnosis as it eliminates people's critical thinking ability in mass. This also just so happens to be a prerequisite for totalitarianism, the T word. Four base conditions must be met by a large portion of society in order for mass formation to happen. Listen to them. I'm going to give you all four. One, lack of social bonding. What's that? Social isolation was a widespread problem long before the pandemic. In one study, 25% said they didn't have a single close friend. Number two, seeing life as meaningless and purposeless. Desmond cites research showing that half of all adults feel their jobs are completely meaningless. They provide no value, they think, to either themselves or to others. In another study, Done in 2012, 63% of the respondents said they were sleepwalking through their workdays, 
putting no passion into their work whatsoever. So, condition number two for mass formation hypnosis was also fulfilled, even before the pandemic hit. Number three, widespread free-floating anxiety and free-floating discontent. Free-floating anxiety refers to anxiousness, anxiety that has no apparent or no obvious cause. Judging by the popularity of antidepressants and other psychiatric drugs, condition number three was also fulfilled way before the pandemic. Fourth and final one, widespread free-floating frustration and aggression. This tends to naturally follow the previous three. Here again, frustration and aggression have no discernible cause, but they're there. When these four conditions are fulfilled by a a big enough portion of society, any society, they become ripe for mass formation hypnosis and the rise of totalitarianism. Look what happened in Germany. In 1931, 32, 33, if if you had told 100,000 Germans at the time that Adolf Hitler was going to take over and dominate every part of the German government and the German social culture, and by the way, would initiate and roll in the extermination of a segment of the German society, not a single person would have said that could possibly happen but it did. By accepting and participating in whatever that strategy is in any country, anywhere, people with free-floating anxiety feel equipped. Hey, I've got something. I've got a way now to control anxiety and avoid panic. They suddenly feel reconnected with other people because they've all identified the same nemesis that has been pointed out by whoever holds the trigger, folks. Right now, the people supposedly control that trigger here. I'm not not so sure we do. They're all joined together in a heroic struggle against the mental representation of this anxiety, and this newfound solidarity gives their lives the meaning and purposes that they lacked before. And this explains why so many have bought into a clearly illogical narrative and why they are willing to participate in this prescribed strategy, even if it's utterly insane. Mass formation is a very dangerous condition, especially for those under its spell, but also for everyone who isn't. The mental intoxication that results makes people willing to do things that are clearly wrong and even immoral, up to and including voluntarily killing their own families and themselves, if told it's for the greater good, well, it's okay. We're helping our neighbors. In short, masses of people become profoundly gullible and self-destructive, which is not a good combination. Since self-destructiveness is built into any totalitarian system from the ground up, Totalitarian regimes can't be sustained forever. They fall apart, and they fall apart from inside. But it can be hell while it lasts. As totalitarianism built on mass formation almost always leads to heinous atrocities being committed in the name of doing good, 
The good news about this, if there is any, is that understanding the psychology that led us to where we are today also gives us the answer for getting out of it. The key strategy, pushback, dissent, and do that loudly, not violently, but persistent, frequently. We got to join together and speak against totalitarianism for two reasons. To give the cowardly majority a sound alternative. Typically, only 30% of people in a totalitarian society are actually under the hypnotic spell of mass formation. Another 40% simply just go along because they're afraid of sticking out or going against the grain. My mother used to ask me all the time when I was doing something with friends that I would get busted for it being bad. She would say, if they jump off a bridge, are you just going to jump off the same bridge because they jumped off the bridge? Same thing applies here. The other 30% are not hypnotized and want to wake the others up. By grouping together, the dissenters give the 40% majority an alternative to just going along for fear of being ostracized or separated. Once the vocal dissenters and the acquiescing majority are joined, the mass formation falls apart. The totalitarian state is finished because it's those who go along with what they know to be wrong that allow mass formation to take root and grow. Once they're no longer involved in in feeding the process, the totalitarian takeover can't survive. Then, speaking out limits the atrocities that a totalitarian regime commits. In a traditional dictatorship, the dictator usually softens the grip once dissenters are silenced. But in a totalitarian system, the opposite occurs. Once dissenting voices are silenced, that's when the real atrocities are rolled out. Against friend and foe, it makes no difference. We can see signs of this already here, folks. The more people comply, the worse it gets. Get the shot, you won't need to wear a mask, became you've got to wear a mask even if you're vaccinated. And by the way, you're not fully vaccinated unless you get all the boosters. Oh, and even if everyone's vaccinated, we may still need to lock down if the caseload goes up. Oh, and you can't work unless you're fully jabbed or access medical care. What, what I just gave you in that last two sentences, that's where we came from and that's where we are today. In what ungodly universe do people condemn others to die from treatable medical conditions or bar them from buying food in order to save lives, they say? I can think of only one right now. We're in that universe, folks. If for no other reason than to limit the devaluation and the destruction of life that is guaranteed to happen, historically it always has in any and every totalitarian system, we must never ever shut up. What we're doing, we the people are allowing it to happen and it must be stopped. Once we're free and clear of the totalitarian threat, 
We don't need to stop there. We need to address the four base conditions for mass formation to prevent this from ever showing up again. But for now, folks, today, we need to focus on uniting and speaking out against tyranny and the stripping away of our God-given rights and our freedoms. Wow. Tough way to start a Friday, huh? You're supposed to be thinking about nothing serious except the weekends just ahead. None of this stuff is going to take a break over the weekend, folks. It's only going to get worse and worse and worse. It's only going to get worse and worse. This new Omicron variant, you know what it is? Literally, all that it is, it's another bullet in the gun of the totalitarianists that want to take over our country, and they want to take it over by scaring us to death. What happens? Biden gets up. He preaches a sermon to every American, even every doctor that doesn't believe the vaccinations are working or real or that there's something going on that they don't understand. You know, the science thing that they're all a big part of and have been for their lives. We've got a guy in the White House that can't even remember if he tied his shoes or the last time he took a dump. And he's telling us, he's giving us the medical issues that are going to save our lives. And if we don't agree with him, they're going to shut us up in our houses. Folks, let me tell you this. Yesterday in the White House press briefing, Jen Psaki was asked about that very thing, that very thing. Are you going to lock down Americans? Is this government going to lock down Americans domestically? which would mean here in the United States, travel. Saki said it's still on the table. And if you look back through everything that's happened since this Fauci-led pandemic uproar began in early 2020, if you look back, everything that the government did in regards to locking us down or scaring us to death Every bit of it, the possibility of whatever the particular stage of that was going to happen, it's floated several weeks in advance. It's kind of like somebody in the government throws it out just, just to test the water to see how Americans are going to react to it. Several months ago, what did I tell you? Over and over and over again here at TNN Live. Total lockdowns and vaccination for everyone mandates is a reality. Have we seen it yet? No, but I live in South Shreveport, Louisiana, not far away from Interstate 20. And Interstate 20, where I hit it when I leave my house, is about 10 miles from the Texas border. I can see a scenario in which the federal government builds a checkpoint between Texas and Louisiana on I-20 and everybody gets pulled over and you've got to prove you're vaccinated or you got to stay at home. Don't denigrate it, folks. It's a very strong probability now. The show is better when you're a part of it. So be a part of it. Join Dan at 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org. 
Dunkin' is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Dunkin' with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Dunkin'. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now. Or later, because these Staples Everyday Price Cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These Everyday Price Cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing Everyday Price Cuts. Thank you. I'm sure the big question is, what do we do, Dan? What can we do about all this? Well, the first step is to talk about it. You know, I just look, we have quite a few thousand Americans and some from other nations listening into the show right now. Why don't you share? That's a good start. Remember, we just told you communicating with like-minded citizens is a good way to at least begin the process of figuring out what to do and then come up with a plan or some plans? And I'm certainly not saying one person has all the facts and the ideas. But what I am saying, folks, is there are people around the world that feel just like I do. I'm not anti-vax. That's not what this is about. It's about health care. It's about medicine. It's about the rule of law, the United States Constitution, and a tyrannical government, which it has become. Do you understand what's happening from the bottom up? I watched during the Obama years, I watched the lawlessness that was actually instigated, not permitted, but instigated by Barack Obama and his first Attorney General, Eric Holder. They decided they were going to stop enforcing in the Department of Justice some laws that Congress had passed. Drug laws. Illegal drug laws. So put that in the context of this being not just Washington, D.C., but 50 states. And each of those 50 states does and has the authority to make their own laws for their citizens. And every one of the 50 states has had illegal drug laws for decades. And then the president of the United States and his attorney general say, "Hey, we're not going to we're no longer going to enforce possession of marijuana federal drug laws." So what kind of conundrum did that create for states that had laws that mirrored the federal laws? The president of the United States says, "Hey, we're not going to enforce that law." Donald Trump comes in for four years. He did the exact opposite. 
He, he honored the same oath to the U.S. Constitution that Barack Obama and Joe Biden, and now Joe Biden as president, they took the same oath. They swore the same oath to protect and defend and support and uphold the Constitution of the United States, which is the beginning and the pattern of the rule of law. And so they normalized it. It's okay to do that. We're in charge, so we have the right to say we're not going to enforce that and make it okay for anybody else. And people look around the nation at the lawlessness, what's happening in the streets. Can you imagine a scenario in your town or city where every night a group of thugs, and I'm not being racist here, it doesn't, it's not specific to one skin color, folks. Bad people don't have just one skin color. It's universal. People from every ilk can and often do make the decision to break laws. But you can, can you imagine in your town or city, if every night in whatever section of town is your upscale, t- it may be a mall, it may be a strip of uh, car dealerships or jewelry stores or upscale clothing stores, whatever, wherever, could be a, a Best Buy or a Home Depot. Every night, a group of thugs get together and break in and just steal, vandalize, tear up, break up with no regard for breaking the laws. And then law enforcement in your community says, ah, we hate it, but then they won't do anything about it. Lawlessness. So yesterday, in this White House press briefing, Fox News reporter Peter Ducey got in a conversation about this very thing with Jen Psaki asking some questions about lawlessness, the reasons for it, and its ties, if there are any, to our COVID-19 pandemic. And then big cities are dealing with smash and grab robberies. A record number of police officers have been shot and killed this year. What is President Biden going to do about all this lawlessness? Well, uh, Peter, I would say that, one, the president proposed uh, additional funding in his budget uh, over the funding that had been proposed by the prior president to increase and support local uh, local police uh, departments, make sure we keep cops on the beat, uh, and we ensure that local communities are working in partnership to crack down on, on crime uh, and any dangers they see in their community. So that's one of the steps. We've also uh, worked with commu- a range of communities across the country on strike forces. As you know, something we've talked about in the past, we're continuing to implement that from the Department of Justice. But the president absolutely believes that uh, community police forces uh, can have an important instrumental effect in uh, helping keep communities safe. And does the president still think that crime is up because of the pandemic? I think uh, many people have conveyed that, and also one of the reasons that crime, one of the root reasons crime, we've uh, root causes of crime in communities is guns and gun violence, and we've seen that statistically around the country. Right, to your point, so when a huge group of criminals organizes themselves and they want to go loot a store, a CVS, a Nordstrom, a Home Depot, until the shelves are clean, you think that's because of the pandemic? I think a root cause in a lot of communities is the pandemic. Yes, go ahead. They're really showing themselves to do really well. Come on, man. Yeah, really. They're really showing themselves to doing really, really well. Come on, man, in the president's own words. 
In other words, what you just heard Jen Psaki, and she's parroting the policies of this president and this administration, is defer, defer, defer any accountability for any choices or decisions that you make, or even those that you choose not to make, any of the consequences or the outcomes, we just blame it on something else or somebody else. So, pandemic. Who created the pandemic? Who determined it was a pandemic? It wasn't the people of the United States. You heard in our opening remarks this morning, telling you what's been happening in Europe. Remember, everything to do with COVID-19 and medicine and horrors and anything going on in the world, it comes east to west. It starts in Asia, makes a jump to the Middle East and Europe, and then across the pond, the Atlantic Ocean to the United States. So typically what we see in Europe regarding everything to do with COVID-19, it heads this way eventually. So we've got tremendous lawlessness. Jen Psaki, very stupidly, She brought in the Second Amendment and gun violence. Yeah, there is gun violence, but I haven't heard of a single person part of this smash and grab thing in these stores that Peter Ducey mentioned to Saki. I haven't heard anyone shoot anybody. Why the heck would somebody at the top of the heap even bring that up in a question about criminality other than, like in Chicago and in other cities where there is rampant gun violence, And the reason it is is because the governments there and the state governments, and by the way, the DOJ, won't step in and stop the lawlessness, the gun violence. Let me ask you something. Have you heard any report ever come out of the city of Chicago? They've already gone over a thousand gun deaths this year in Chicago. And I'm not just talking about 2021. Go back to 2015, 2016. Have you ever heard a police report or even anybody out of the mayor's office, the previous mayor or this mayor, ever talk about when they get up and scream, we got to stop gun violence. We got to get the guns out of the criminal's hands. And it's because it's so easy to get guns. Have you ever heard them tell us about How many of those killings happened with guns that were obtained legally, going to a gun store, filling out the application, turning it into the FBI for them to check your background before you buy a legally purchased gun? How many times has that happened? Let me tell you this. Don't think for a second if it happened even one time, they would not trumpet that fact with names and numbers of who and how many and how many people that those persons that bought that gun legally shot and killed. There's no report of it. You know why? Because almost totally people who buy guns legally don't kill other people. It's criminals and you cannot stop criminals from buying guns. No, they're not going into Dick's Sporting Goods and filling out the application. They're going to go into Dick's house while he's at work and steal his guns. Or they're going to buy them on the black market. Where's the black market come from? A bunch of it comes across the border, our southern border down there, where Joe and his ilk won't shut the border. Speaking of federal government lawlessness, 
You heard here, if you were with us earlier this week, Homeland Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas brag about the fact that we, at the Biden administration, we're not going to deport any longer any illegal aliens unless they have a criminal record that we know about. That is in direct violation of numerous federal laws. And by the way, the administration has some limited power regarding government stuff, but the administration is bound by the Constitution to abide by the laws that the only authority, the only body in in the nation that can legally pass laws and change laws is the United States Constitution. Just some frightful stuff. Just for a moment, let's go back to the COVID-19 and the Omicron. I'm sure you know that we were told it first appeared several weeks ago in several different South African countries. And over the weekend, the mainstream media grabbed a list of where those were, and one of them was Mozambique. And of course, we were told from the beginning, Omicron is more deadly than any other variant of the COVID-19. It's going to be worse. We've got to prepare for it. And Joe Biden began to march out his orders, lockdown, lockdown. Mask mandates, again. Air travel, got to have mask mandates. Bus travel, commercial bus travel, rail, same thing ramping it back up, and don't anticipate that we're just going to flow right through Christmas without any more top-down edicts from this administration. We're going to have it. Why? Because Omicron, it's here. We got a report yesterday, five cases in greater New York City. Uh Uh-oh. They're not talking about the specifics of any of the cases, and you know why? We gave you the story yesterday. The South African doctor that found, identified Omicron, and did by treating patients. She is shocked at the reaction worldwide to her revealing that Omicron is out. It's a variant. You know why she is so shocked? Because the symptoms are minor. In fact, she said of all the cases she knows of, and this is over the weekend, She knows of not a single person even being hospitalized or needing to be. They're treating the cases at home. Now, maybe she's one of the conspiracy theorists that Joe Biden blasted yesterday in his speech at the National Institute of Health, which basically he said, anybody, especially doctors, any doctor that disagrees with us is simply a conspiracy theorist. She's not one of those folks. She's a scientist. She's following the science. Now, let me let you listen to how one Brit, how P.O. this man is because of what's happened to him because of the craze about Omicron already. He's pretty demonstrative about it. So a dear friend of mine called me today to say she's heard that it was going very badly in South Africa. And how are you? How are you handling it? So I'll tell you exactly what's happening in South Africa. Nothing. Today's figures, total infections, total new infections in South Africa, zero. Total new infections in England, 46,000. 46,000. 
new infections. We have zero new infections. Our populations are approximately the same. Oh, but let's blame Africa. The British have discovered a new variant in South Africa. Of course, it's the worst of all variants. It's dressed in a loincloth, carries a spear, and waits for you at the airport to chop your head off and crawl up your ass. So, yes, let's put South Africa back on the red list because they have zero new infections and we have 46,000 new infections today. So South Africa will have no tourist season. Companies and livelihoods will be decimated yet again. I've already had guests cancelling their Christmas and their journeys. I had guests leave today early from Spain because they're now afraid they won't be able to get back on a plane because the British have discovered a new variant in Africa. And of course, it's the worst variant ever. Meanwhile, we're all sat here having no new infections and getting on quite nicely. Thank you very much. So what's happening in South Africa? I'll tell you. I'm going to the pub where I'm going to drink a beer, which will cost me the equivalent of one pound. Uh, I wonder how he really feels. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so if you're wondering, and, and we're going to move on. Uh, <laughs> if you're wondering why, and I'm not laughing because of anything being funny. I'm laughing because there's a Brit <laughs> that is just as hacked off as most of us are about the the mass insanity that is being thrust on us every day. Who's pulling the strings? We need the Wizard of Oz to come forward so and identify him or herself so we can know who really is running the government and is in Joe's ear and has us doing all of these things. Somebody's there. And if we don't find something humorous or at least something that we can chuckle about, we're going to go insane. Let me just finish this, this segment by saying this, what we're seeing in detail, and I'm not going to go into great detail, but how do you destroy a healthy corporation or a healthy segment of your society, a social, a movement on a national level, how throughout history have these nations these good governments, when things were really going well, had been for, in many cases, centuries and centuries, how did they just go to the bottom of the pit in a matter of months or even just a few years? And it happens throughout history. It has. Look at what's happening here in the United States. Look what happened in Germany. Look what happened in Russia. Look what happened in China. People were living their lives on a day-to-day basis, doing the best they could do until the government steps in and the government and those in it decide that they want supreme power. You know, that thing that for four years, everybody pointed on from the left pointed at Donald Trump and said, he's an authoritarian. He is a dictator wannabe. Those are the exact things we are seeing happening right now, every day. We talk about the frog in the boiling water. Take a pan of water, put a frog in that pan of water, turn the fire on, and slowly increase the heat. The frog's going to stay in the water and burn to death. But if you boil the water first and the pot of Water is sitting there boiling, and you drop a frog in the water, he'll jump out immediately. 
I think, folks, for at least decades, maybe a couple of generations, we Americans, we've just been swimming around in the pot of water. Oh, yeah, it got, it just feels a little warmer. But, man, I like this. I like swimming around in this water. It's really cool. And then it begins to heat, gets hotter and hotter gradually, and before long, it's boiling, and guess what? We're stuck in the middle of the pan of boiling water. It seems like every summer starts with a song. Maybe it's one we heard on the radio during our morning drive. Or maybe it was playing in the cafe we ducked into for lunch. Wherever they catch us, certain songs seem to take us away. Songs of waves and sand, of forests and hillsides, of growing up and growing old. Songs that get in our heads and make us smile as we hum them to ourselves. Songs of the sun coming up and the ragtop going down. Of friends we just met and the ones we'll have for life. Songs that define the moments, like the ones we find in Michigan, where we take our someday list and start to check things off. A day spent gliding on a sailboat, floating on a pontoon, and climbing over that next hill. A rhythm that takes us somewhere better, somewhere like pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry, dragon fruit, and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Separating fact from fiction. Arming you with the ammunition of liberty. The truth on TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. Well, here's some facts for you. Yesterday, into last evening, the House of Representatives, as well as the Senate, passed a continuing resolution. In other words, they upped the debt limit. They're going to allow the government to spend a few billion more dollars, but it's not permanent. It's only into next year. They're going to fight the fight again. Instead of fixing it and doing the right things, This Congress that is so divided represented pretty much of the division in the American people that they just decide to kick the can down the road and let somebody else deal with the chaos. I couldn't believe they got it through the Senate simply because it's a 50-50 tie. There were a bunch of uh, Democrats that are more left, uh, more right-leaning than most of the uh, other senators in the Democrat Party, I thought they would dissent, but even some Republicans came over and voted to let it get raised. 
That's all I'm going to say about that. Moving on down the road, yesterday, the Democrat Congressional Campaign Committee, they were blasted on Twitter. Why? They sent out a post that thanked President Biden. He did it in the energy sector, folks. He got us a two-cent-per-gallon decrease in gasoline prices. It took him two weeks to do it, but he fought the good fight. Oh, by the way, that all came when gas prices went up about a buck and a half in his first 11 months in office. (laughs) The tweet said, thanks at Joe Biden. And they put a graph up that shows gas prices decreased across the nation and averaged from 340 to 338, two cents over two weeks. make a lot of sense to you. It's stupid. Absolute insanity. I've got a 16-gallon tank in my car. At two cents would save me 32 cents on a tank. 32 cents. Big saving. I'm looking at a a sign from uh, a gas station out in California. Regular unleaded yesterday, $5.78. Unleaded plus $6.03. Premium unleaded, $6.28. And diesel, it's way cheaper, $5.76 a gallon. But this president's doing a great job on his watch. He was able to whittle away those two pennies. Oh, my gosh. I'm sure you heard that Twitter has a new CEO. Jack left. He hung it up. Now, it's probably because he doesn't need all of the pressure that came from being CEO. He is a co-founder of Twitter, but he's got another company that he started before Twitter that is probably even more financially successful than his Twitter. So Jack went to the beach, I guess. So under the watch of the new CEO, Twitter is warning users that the website of the American Heart Association may be unsafed after the American Heart Association published an abstract in one of its medical journals journals that contained research linking mRNA COVID-19 jabs to heart inflammation. The abstract was published in Circulation, a journal of the American Health Association, on the 16th of last month. In their research, a team led by former cardiac surgeon Stephen Grundy applied a cardiac test to measure a patient's five-year risk of a new acute coronary syndrome. This abstract that came from technology and laboratory research, oh my gosh, (laughs) followed the science, right? It claims a 14-point increase in the five-year risk of acute coronary syndrome in vaccinated participants. However, the American Heart Association later attached an expression of concern to the study, warning readers that it might have an error in it. So Twitter is now warning users against traveling to the website of the American Heart Association's journals, telling them the destination website may be unsafe a designation previously reserved for sites containing viruses and malware, but recently expanded by Twitter to include what they determine is misleading content. 
Top down, top down. Speaking of misleading, (laughs) uh, yesterday, Rand Paul, Rand Paul said yesterday in a conversation that vaccine hesitancy, it's rampant among a lot of Americans. According to Rand Paul, it's mostly a function of misinformation that is actually spread by government bureaucrats like Dr. Anthony Fauci. Paul said this, the vaccine hesitancy, I think, is mostly responsible for and from the misinformation that you have gotten from Fauci and others. He was talking with Brightboard Daily News podcast host Alex Marlowe. Marlowe said more conservative and Republican Americans would be receptive to accepting vaccines if the federal government's chief vaccine advocates were agreeable to the political right. Paul concurred. He said, if you were leading a vaccine effort and you really wanted people to be vaccinated, the people who are unvaccinated would be much more likely to listen to me than they would be to Dr. Fauci. And yet, no one's ever asked me, will you do a public service announcement? Every time I'm on the air, I do say that if you're vulnerable, I would be vaccinated, particularly over 65 and overweight. I think people at almost any age, probably after 30 in particular, overweight or significantly overweight are at a risk for this disease. He said, I think hesitancy is coming from the misinformation of the big government types. Actually, they'd be better off if they said the voices like ours from the right would actually be voices that might encourage some people to get vaccinated. He said, the vaccine's not perfect but I think it does reduce your risk of being in the hospital or dying. I also mention in every speech I give that monoclonal antibodies will save your life, but you got to get them before you get too sick or Dr. Fauci will deny you care because the government directs all things COVID. If you get admitted to the hospital, they won't give you any of the monoclonal antibodies. So you got to be very, did you know that? If you go to the hospital, you know what they'll tell you? If you ask for it, no, it's not within our protocols. We can't give it to you here. Senator Paul said, so you have to be very, very aware of what the different rules are if you get COVID or your parents or grandparents get it because you have to wind your way through the government's labyrinth rules. He highlighted the refusal to consider natural immunity to COVID-19 among Americans who had recovered from the virus within proposed and imposed vaccine mandates. I think it's actually malpractice, he said, not to consider natural immunity. For example, if you're a pediatrician, you're telling every kid to be vaccinated without any consideration for whether or not they've already had the disease, I think you're really practicing bad medicine. I would suggest that everybody who thinks about getting a vaccine for their kids ask first for an antibody test. And he went on. Fauci has completely ignored over 100 million people in our country who have already had COVID. It's infected probably between 100 and 150 million Americans. Paul noted that the public health industry tends to attract leftist and cultivate left-wing ideology within the scope of its influence. 
Most of the time, Fauci is giving edicts that really reflect his own sort of authoritarian impulses, and this is true of a lot of people in public health. The people who gravitate to public health are people and doctors who are content to work for the government. They've never really been in business, and their first impulse is to try to stop a disease by controlling the people. Controlling the people. What else is happening? Have you heard anything coming out of the school situation, the public school situation in Virginia of late? We haven't. Why not? Loudoun County, Virginia Commonwealth's attorney, Buta Bibaraj, said she does not plan to recuse herself from an ongoing legal battle to remove that school board chair, Brenda Sheridan. Despite the fact that a judge disqualified the attorney from a similar case against a former school board member, and despite Bibaraj's alleged involvement in some of the claims against Sheridan, the school board president. The parent organization Fight for Schools filed a petition to remove Sheridan. They've now also filed a petition to disqualify this attorney from the case. The group's executive director said that Bibaraj, the attorney, has clear conflicts of interest. In order to remove an elected official in Virginia, petitioners must get signatures and bring the case in front of a judge. If a judge approves the petition, the Commonwealth's attorney prosecutes the case. Bibaraj, the attorney in question, received an $861,039 assist from the George Soros-funded Justice and Public Safety Political Action Agency in her 2019 election. $861,000. It's necessary to have faith that the prosecutor in this removal proceeding has no actual or perceived conflicts, that she will go where the evidence takes her and litigate this case with appropriate prosecutorial zeal. In this case, Commonwealth Attorney B. Barrage was very involved in two of the very serious incidents that caused this whole recall to happen. There's no way that the people of Loudoun County can be confident in a fair process for the removal of Brenda Sheridan unless the attorney either recuses herself or is disqualified based on her conflicts of interest and an independent prosecutor is appointed. That petition to remove Sheridan from the job at the school board brings 11 claims against the chair, five of which involved a private Facebook group which this attorney, Bibaraj, was also a member, and one of which involves a decision regarding that sexual assault case that you've heard us talk about. Of the 11 claims, claims 1 through 4 and claim 9 cite the anti-racist parents of Loudoun County private Facebook group. The petition claims that in response to the school board member Beth Bart's post in which she expressed that she was very concerned about a movement opposing critical race theory gaining support, several members of the Facebook group began a campaign to target and harass those Loudoun County parents and others opposed to the critical race theory philosophy. 
According to the petition, members of the group began to gather information, infiltrate anti-CRT groups, and spread information to expose people publicly. The petition claims that in response to the campaign of targeted harassment sparked by Beth Marks' March 12th Facebook post, Brenda Sheridan took no action to report the campaign to police, inform the targeted constituents, or denounce the claim. So you got the school board online, and they're discussing not reporting in violation of Virginia law, not reporting sexual assaults at schools to local law enforcement. We're talking about kids, folks. Sexual assault in schools of our school children. And the president of the school board doesn't want it to be reported to the cops. You figure that one out. (laughs) I, I can't even come up with any way to codify how any adult could think that that was good to do, or even okay to do. There's so many things that are going on that are just absolutely crazy. It just blows my mind. I can't get my brain about it. And folks, I'm probably like you in a lot of ways, looking at the weekend, holiday shopping coming up, being with family and friends again. Thanksgiving to New Year's are always special times for me and our family. Um, The last part of my immediate family life from age 16 forward wasn't good. And when I got married, I made it very clear to my wife, who 46 46 years later is still my wife, that divorce is not an option. We are going to have problems in our relationship. Every couple does but we're going to work together to get through them. And we're going to get through them. At the end of it, they may not be totally fixed, but we're going to have our arms around it, whatever it is, and we're going to be okay. We're going to be fine. And we are. We're fine. But it takes work. This COVID-19 thing, this government thing we're all in the middle of, we can't, I can't say the same thing about it. I don't know how it's going to come out. I don't think we're in the middle of it yet. I don't think we've gotten to the middle of the ugly river. I think there's more to come. But I can tell you this one thing. I know for a fact it will not fix itself. It is not just mystically one day we're going to wake up and say, oh my gosh, it's gone. What we've been dealing with and worrying with and watching change our world, things that we don't understand, it just overnight evaporated, it's gone. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We've got to buckle down, weigh in, and just basically become offensive linemen in a football game where we simply refuse to let the people across from us that think differently from us, want different results than we do. We've got to make sure that they don't get their way through all of this egregious action that we're already seeing shoved down our throats. Folks, I'm going to tell you, I can see in the next 90 days, I can see a scenario where you are not going to be able to get in your car and drive from Atlanta, Georgia to Nashville, Tennessee. 
unless, of course, you have that vaccine mandate, including probably a current test that shows even though you were vaccinated and you have the vaccine passport, whatever it's going to look like, that you weren't reinfected. I can see that happening. Don't say that it won't happen. And the only way these kinds of things are going to stop is if we Americans, we do whatever it takes together with our other fellow Americans to get it done. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water, vitamin water. Regular water, vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy, and I'm teaming up with Turtle Wax this summer to make sure your rides are clean, shiny, protected, and even disinfected. Because whether you're hitting the streets or heading out on the highway to the beach, Turtle Wax will make sure your vehicle is looking, smelling, and feeling amazing. Turtle Wax is the only brand that I trust with my fleet of supercars. And y'all know how many cars I keep in my garage, right? Check out TurtleWax.com to learn more and be sure to buy now at TurtleWax.com or anywhere you shop for car care. You remember earlier this year, Texas, the Texas State Legislature passed a law designed to prevent social media companies from censoring users in any way. Well, sadly, day before yesterday, that law going into effect in Texas was blocked by a federal judge. U.S. District Judge Robert Pittman, who was, by the way, nominated for the job and confirmed under President Obama, he ordered a preliminary injunction that will stop the law from taking effect, at least for now. It would require social media, this law, if it's ever put in place, it would require social media platforms to make totally transparent their practices regarding content management. Now, that includes what types of posts would violate their rules. Identify it. Give us a template. Give us the rules. It would also stop platforms from censoring a user, a user's expression, or a user's ability to receive the expression of another person based on 
the social giant's viewpoint or location. We will always defend the freedom of speech in Texas, which is why I am proud to sign House Bill 20 into law. That's what Abbott said before he signed the bill. Two trade associations that have members that operate social media platforms, though, sued over the law, arguing that it violated the First and Fourteenth Amendments of the Constitution. Here's what their justification for opposing it says. The law imposes impermissible content and viewpoint-based classifications to compel a select few platforms to publish speech and speakers that violate the platform's policies and to present that speech the same way the platforms present other speech that does not violate their policies. Judge Pittman agreed, finding that HB 20's prohibitions on censorship and constraints on how social media platforms disseminate content violate the First Amendment. Further, he said, the ability of users to file lawsuits under the new law chills the social media platform's speech rights. A similar law was partially blocked earlier this year in Florida. Steve Del Bianco, president and CEO of NetChoice, one of the plaintiffs in both cases, said in a statement that America's judicial system protected our constitutional right to free speech today by making sure the politically motivated Texas law doesn't see the light of day and force Americans everywhere to endure racial epithets, aggressive homophobia, pornographic material, beheadings, or other gruesome content just to scroll online. A spokeswoman for the governor told news outlets the state was working to appeal the ruling. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? Companies like Twitter, Facebook, Google, of course they have YouTube and others, they're out there all the way. They're doing what this guy is doing and did in Florida, this Steve Del Bianco. They want to make it okay. Oh, we don't want any American to be forced to endure racial epithets, aggressive homophobia, pornographic material, beheadings, or other gruesome content just to scroll online. What's that First Amendment thing? What's that First Amendment thing? They actually have the chutzpah to claim that this law violates the First Amendment, and it doesn't. What it's targeting is the fact that the social media platforms, they do that themselves. If what you say doesn't agree with what they think is okay to say, they don't let it go out. They censor it. I don't care who you are. The First Amendment, if you believe in the Constitution and if you believe in the First Amendment at all, you take it at face value and it basically maintains, and I'm kind of giving a short synopsis here, the First Amendment gives every American the right to say anything, even if it upsets or bothers someone else. We all have a choice, folks. Nobody makes people look at Facebook posts or Twitter posts or Instagram or look at YouTube videos. Nobody makes you do that. 
But what it does, it gives every American the universal right to think and feel and react verbally and in writing and express their own thoughts. Let me just make a prediction. This, this case is it's going to end up at the Supreme Court, and it will be completely confirmed, the Texas law will be, and these um, power junkies are going to be slapped in the face by the United States Supreme Court. i got to be honest with you. I don't think it's going to be a 6-3 conservative rendering. I think that there are people on the left that see this egregious abridgment of Americans' First Amendment and uh, First Amendment rights And I think, to be quite honest, even other rights that Americans have under the Constitution. And this government, in large part, and I'm not just talking about the federal government, but elected officials, and in some cases, people around the nation that want to grab power and retain it, take it from the people, take it from us, and use it against us when they choose to do so. I think it's going to be slapped in the face, and we better pray that it is. When this um, discussion was going on in the Supreme Court the other day, and it's on the Roe v. Wade, it's on the Mississippi case, that basically, if it would ever be allowed to stay in place in total, it's going to impact Roe v. Wade. But it's not going to do away with abortion. So it was kind of uncanny to watch the goings-on outside the Supreme Court that day. One group of radical feminists that are there defending abortion, listen to what they did. They stood out on the steps in front of the Supreme Court. This was all on Wednesday. And they were trying to attract attention and provoke conservatives that were there in the public outside. Guess what they started doing? They started ingesting, taking abortion pills in front of the crowd that looked on in amazement. This group of feminists belonged to a well-known abortion group called Shout Your Abortion. Wednesday morning, they stood out in front of a large banner that read, We are taking abortion pills. And in front of them, a large bag was filled with small white little boxes labeled abortion pills. People could see them. The founder of this organization, Amelia Bonnow, was one of the women who in front of the crowd swallowed one of the pills at the same time that they could be heard shouting wildly and repeatedly, forever, abortion pills. So after they took the pills, the activists around them began to celebrate and applaud. So it's not yet clear, and I'm sure there's a journalist or two, this one, if I was there, I would ask, but apparently nobody has yet or we haven't heard about it, ask whether any of these women were actually pregnant or whether the pills are what they claim to be ingesting. The act is pretty reprehensible considering not only the moral issue of freely promoting an abortion practice without measuring consequences, but also, folks, the physical risk involved in ingesting such medication without any supervision. Experts emphasize that abortion drugs are not a game. In fact, some recent statistics show that dozens of women have died, thousands have ended up in a hospital bed from taking abortion pills in recent years. Amelia Bonnow, the leader of this group, had already received a barrage of criticism 
when back in mid-August she posted a series of live videos showing herself taking abortion pills with the aim of showing women that abortion doesn't necessarily have to be a big deal. Folks, it doesn't matter about the pill. (laughs) Abortion is a big deal. In the first part of the videos, Banal can be seen promoting the use of abortion pills, absolutely, absolutely minimizing the risk, indicating how to get them easily, and making special emphasis of the fact they can be consumed with no supervision of a doctor or any other kind of specialized person. The second video, it's even more controversial. In it, you can see how Bonnell buys the pills online from a supposedly nonprofit group that sells the abortion-efficient drugs at a price of approximately $150. She also clarified she's not pregnant and is only going to consume the pills to experience their effects. I thought the effects of abortion pill was to make you have a chemical abortion. But she says she's not pregnant. How could she experience their effects if she's not pregnant? Then the influencer shows how she ingests the pills. A day later, it's time to ingest the four misoprostol pills. When misoprostol starts working, it causes a person to experience cramping, cramping, bleeding, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, she said. Basically, it causes you to cramp everything in the uterus. The next image in the video claims to be taken several hours later when the effects of the drug had worn off. Her roommate questions her about how she feels and Bonal admits to not having slept all night because of the pain, stomach upset, and bleeding. Regardless, she said, I feel fine, and if I was pregnant and didn't want to be pregnant, that would be great. That doesn't sound to me like a very effective sales job. What about you? I mean, talking about bleeding and dizziness and nausea, diarrhea and cramping. Ah, but it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. It's going to be June probably before the outcome of this uh, this case is going to be heard that the uh, Supreme Court is going to weigh in on it. We, um, we heard from a cop in San Francisco that went public. Now, it's very unusual for a police officer on a police force to get in front of a microphone unless it's somebody that is has the authority of the powers to be in that police force to get before the public. But this this officer went on Fox News to have a discussion about what's going on in San Francisco. And she chatted with uh, Tucker Carlson. I don't know if you've heard that or if you saw it, but it's the first cop, active cop, on the duty in one of these major cities where All of the lawlessness is being suborned and allowed by people in government. First one I've heard get up and have a conversation, talk to a reporter, and answer some questions. Listen to this from last night with Tucker Carlson on Fox Fox News. Tracy McCrary is a senior sergeant at the Bayview Police Station in San Francisco. She joins us tonight. Sergeant, I, I, I'm amazed that you're willing to come on the show and grateful that you are. Thank you very much. Tell us what it's like in San Francisco right now. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, San Francisco, as you can see from all the videos, 
the boarded up shops, the empty spaces for retail, is a city that is spiraling or already in the bottom of the toilet. So what's going to happen? I mean, can it get worse? Anything is possible. Okay, again, thank you for your firsthand account of this. We watched the videos, but, you know, if you don't live there, it's hard to know. You're a police officer there. How frustrating is this for you to watch? Well, for me, it's very frustrating because I'm a native here, born and raised. Uh, The time I did spend in the Bayview before I was promoted to the lieutenant who's now in charge of the robbery unit, which is my day job, uh, I see all of this in real time. And it's concerning. I see this when I'm working. I see this when I'm off duty. I see this as the vice president of the union representing the men and women trying to serve this city to the best of their ability. Uh, I don't know about our other partners, what they're doing, but we have a problem. Let's recognize that we have a problem and let's get to a solution. Are you confident the police could fix this if they were allowed to fix it? Yes, I am. I am very confident because we have the will of 2,200 members who come in day in and day out to do their job and to make this city better. Amen. And that's the whole that's the whole point of government is to make the lives of the people who live in your city better. I got to ask, what percentage of the population, people who live in San Francisco, are frustrated by this? Well, I'll say a lot now. Uh, you mentioned uh, the DA, the recall that is happening. Uh, you had yeah. 83,000 signatures. They want to blame the Republicans. We don't have 83,000 Republicans in San <laughs> no, Francisco. You don't. So it's no, a you cross. Don't. No, we don't. So it's a cross section of people who are now fed up. The West Portal area just had a sideshow, uh, which has set people off. Uh, so, like, we know what we need to do. Let's just have the guts to do it and stop talking about it, you know. So it's incredibly frustrating. But even as frustrated as we are, we're still willing to show up and to do our job. And I wish our other partners in the justice system would just do theirs. You know why it's not being handled by leaders in these law enforcement operations? It's because the people who they answer to, which are The political folks, in this case, in San Francisco, the district attorney in San Francisco, the governor in San Francisco. Well, the governor's actually in Sacramento, and then the attorney general from Sacramento. They're not enforcing the laws, and they're telling people that work for them in these counties and these cities in California and other places in in the United States, stop enforcing these laws. They did away almost totally in many cases with any bail. Look what happened when all those people were mowed down last Sunday a week ago in that parade. The guy just got out the week before with the bail of $1,000 for actually becoming physically violent and trying to run over his wife. And he gets out in basically nothing. And people died because of that decision. Why do our leaders do this kind of stuff and allow it to happen? Is there any single purpose, or is it just a multitude of explanations for it? I don't have that answer. I mean, 
everybody that knows me, I mean really knows me, they know whenever I face a situation, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a analytical guy. One thing at a time. Well, if this is this way and this is the other way and you add those two together and you come up with this, well, there's got to be a reason for that happening. Where could the reason be? And just reason and come up with it. Trying to figure out who's responsible for all this. I keep coming up in my equation. I keep coming up with whatever administration is in power and in office at the time. And the people that run it. In this case, that would be President Joe Biden. Listen to what he said yesterday. This is the leader of the free world, folks. This is the most powerful man on the planet, Joe Biden. He said yesterday he met with former Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir and served as a liaison between Israel and Egypt during the Six-Day War. She, he forgot. The Six-Day War happened when he was still in law school. He spoke during a menorah lighting and celebration of Hanukkah day before yesterday at the White House, appeared to be referring to a meeting he had with her just before the October 1973 Yom Kippur War. It's not clear what he meant by his role as a liaison. Here's what he said. I have known every, every prime minister well since Golda Meir, including Golda Meir. And during the Six-Day War, I had an opportunity to, she invited me to come over because I was going to be the liaison between she and the Egyptians about the Suez Canal. And I sat in front of our desk, he continued. And she had a guy, her staff member to my right, his name was Rabin. And she kept flipping those maps up and down. She had that bevy of maps, sort of kept it. And it was it was so depressing what she was about what happened. She gave me every detail. Do you remember what the Six-Day War was? It was a short conflict that pitted Israel against a coalition of Jordan, Syria, and Egypt that completely reshaped the region. It broke out, folks, in June of 1967, one year before Biden graduated from Syracuse University College of Law. Mayer was not elected to serve as prime minister until almost two years after this war, serving in the role from 69 to 74. Biden was obviously touting his personal relationship with Golda Meir and his support for Israel. A classified Israeli memo unearthed last year summarizing the meeting offered details Biden forgot to leave in. The memo claims that Biden told Golda Meir that the territories Israel had captured during the Six-Day War, which included West Bank and the Gaza Strip, amounted to creeping annexation. (laughs) Notes taken by an unnamed Israeli official in the meeting say that Biden told Meir that during talks in Cairo before he arrived in Israel, Egyptian officials had assured him that they accepted Israel's military superiority. Biden used this contention to suggest that Israel was in a position to offer the Arabs 
unilateral concessions and doing it to promote peace. Said he tried to convince the prime minister to withdraw from areas of lesser strategic importance, a suggestion that Golda Meir rejected before lecturing the young senator about the problems Israel was facing in the region. Less than six weeks later, Meir's fears were confirmed when Egypt and Syria attacked Israel. The memo also claims that Biden was highly critical of the Nixon administration during the meeting, accusing it of being dragged by Israel while debate about the Middle East was bogged down in the Senate because lawmakers were fearful of offending Jewish voters. So Joe, top of the heap everywhere. Oh my gosh, he graduated at the top of his class in law school and in pre-law. He didn't in either case. He was way down at the bottom. Lie after lie, gross misrepresentation after misrepresentation, over and over and over again. This is the guy. This is the guy that is actually considering locking you down, locking us down, and putting us at his behest for anything and everything he wants, and anything and everything he wants us to do, and everything he wants us not to do. In my world, we call that totalitarianism, authoritarianism, dictator, whichever one you want to use. And I think right now at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, we have one of those in the making. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola, like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials, so every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials, excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. for best life minus the burnout i'm zuri hall from nbc's access hollywood and my new podcast hot happy mess is all about the most important vip you join us each monday as we discuss relationships self-care career and much more our podcast is for mindful ambitious diverse millennial women who are ready for more happiness laughter peace and purpose now iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts and it's easy to see why listen to hot happy mess every week on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. Enrique Santos for Taco Bell. The toasted cheddar chalupa from Taco Bell is back, and I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing. Did they really toast six-month-old aged cheddar right onto a delicious flaky chalupa shell again? Yes, they did, but now it's even tastier. It comes with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink, all in a $5 box. That's right, all that for just a little cheddar. But don't forget, it's back for a limited time. The $5 toasted cheddar chalupa box, only at Taco Bell. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. 
weapons-grade stupidity. Boy, that's a great definition of much of the thinking in the Potomac River Valley. That's Washington, D.C. I think stupid is different from ignorant. I think ignorant is you just don't know. I think stupid is you don't know and you don't care to do whatever it takes to get the answers. Big difference, folks. And I think there's a bunch of stupid people up there. Regarding all of this negative stuff regarding COVID-19 and lockdowns and vaccinations and stuff, guess what happened yesterday? State of Nevada became the first state to impose a surcharge on workers who have not been vaccinated, though the penalty doesn't take effect until the middle of next year. The state's Public Health Employees Benefit Program Board, all but two of the members voted for it, a surcharge of $55 a month on unvaccinated workers. The surcharge goes into effect on July 1 next year, and we're told they'll help offset the cost of COVID testing, according to executive officer on the board. Testing costs through September for the state estimated to be $3.3 million. The board did not analyze the cost of COVID-19 hospitalizations for this proposal because they would have made the surcharge for spouses and dependents much higher, she said. State rules bar making the surcharge on workers any higher. That's just one example of it. State of Oklahoma, they are now suing the Biden administration over their National Guard vaccine mandate. We're talking about National Guard mandate. Oklahoma Attorney General John O'Connor, Governor Kevin Stitt, the state of Oklahoma, and 16 members of the state's National Guard file suit against the Biden administration to block the enforcement of its vaccine mandate, deeming in their suit it's unconstitutional, arguing that the mandate is tantamount to federal overreach. In a complaint filed yesterday, names Joe Biden, Defense Secretary Lloyd Oyston, and dozen more federal officials and agencies as defendants. Oklahoma argued the mandate violates the Constitution and has no legal basis. And meanwhile, I'm sure, and we played it yesterday, a little snippet of Dr. Fauci, he had the podium at the White House to talk about COVID-19 and everything going on and vaccinations and what we're doing Talked about the travel ban. That was the reason for his being there, Biden's new travel ban. Mozambique is on the travel ban. They haven't had a single case of this COVID variant there, Omicron. Peter Ducey asked Fauci about why not be concerned about the other travelers coming into the U.S., the travel ban and the fact that Anybody that comes in from any foreign country now, they're going to get tested. And they need to have they need to have proof that they're vaccinated when they come in. This is serious, folks. Peter Ducey asked Biden, well, why not be concerned about others coming into the nation? Fauci very quickly said, Oh, there's a there's a plan in place, there's a process in place, and he moved on. Doesn't want to talk about that. Guess what came out overnight? In just one week, 22,651 illegal aliens from 40 different countries. In one week, folks, 
22,651 illegals, 40 countries. These are the ones that were apprehended in Texas. That week encompassed the seven days from October 27th through November 2nd. And according to the previous week's numbers and a report from May, the numbers have been this high for months, 22,000 a week. Law enforcement arrested during that week 48 fugitives, 13 gang members. In addition, more than 4,000 pounds of marijuana, 669 pounds of methamphetamine, and 87 pounds of cocaine were seized. Oh, by the way, they also grabbed 27 handguns, three long guns, and almost $200,000 in cash. In the past six months, three separate currency seizures from these groups, these illegal groups coming in, was over a million and a half dollars. So the Border Operations Sector Assessment Reports labeled Law Enforcement Sensitive are issued weekly to law enforcement personnel and government recipients, but the public is kept in the dark about the extent of border crime and illegal activity in their respective areas. The reports emanate from the Border Security Operations Center run by the Texas Rangers, which collates information from Border Patrol as well as state law enforcement and participating local law enforcement. Just shy of 22,000 illegals were apprehended on average per week in Texas over the past month. 68% were from countries other than Mexico. Extrapolated for a year, that would mean more than 1. million illegal alien apprehensions along the Texas-Mexico border alone. The report doesn't estimate how many individuals evaded apprehension. And we would know all of that. We'd know everything about it if this government... If this president, Joe Biden down, and Alejandro Mayorkas, who he appointed and who was confirmed to head Homeland Security, wasn't up preaching, telling us all that they no longer are going to deport these illegal aliens that are caught. Total violation, total slap in the face to federal immigration laws. So where are you in all this? Where are you? What do you think about the lawlessness going on across our nation besides the illegal alien situation? Just law enforcement, criminality in general. What do you think about the vaccine mandates that are pending, 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 and the lockdowns that are pending, pending, pending? What do you think about us being told almost daily, you got to follow the science. You got to follow the science. And then they refuse to follow the science. They prefer to follow their political narrative and try to force everybody in the country to think exactly the same way they do. Don't think for a second there's not something, there are not some things, some examples of this that we can look to uh, look to thankfully not in American history, but in the history of other countries around the world, and see, this is not unique. This is not sitting over here in a vacuum. This is not the first time this has happened in any civilization in modern history. It's happened hundreds of times. It's never been successful, 
And in every single case, the people of those countries, the citizens, the private citizens, and the companies, and the service people in the service industry are the ones who have paid the egregious price for the power-seeking government officials. On that note, (laughs) a sour note, I want to wish you a great weekend. Folks, enjoy the weekend the best you can, and, and get out and get around people. And I'm saying that because, truly, we may not have that option. We just don't know. We don't know if and when that trigger is going to be pulled, but it might be. Relish every moment, every conversation, every face-to-face you have. And, of course, do your Christmas shopping. Get it out of the way and enjoy every second of doing it. Have a wonderful weekend. TNN, we love you. Thank you for being part of the Truth News Network. So long, everybody. Or silent flocks by night Behold throughout the heavens The show of holy light Protect, tell it on the mountain Talk.